This is the Commission Church Online. Welcome to our podcast. We want to be a church who brings heaven on earth through the word of God and the love of Christ. I pray this week's message blesses you. and I get to serve here with our student ministry uh, with my wife, Nicole, and um, we are just so honored um, to be here at Commission Serving, and I'm so honored uh, to be preaching this morning. Um, I, I, got, I got the chance to preach a couple of months ago, and I got that one out of, out of, you know, out of me, and I thought it would just get easier, and I realized, man, like, I was good all morning, and then as soon as worship ended, it was really, like, I felt my heart beating. I'm like, God, quell my soul, quell my heart, and, and it's still going, so y'all just be praying for me. It is way easier. I don't know why. It's way easier to preach to five students on Wednesday nights than a room full of adults. Um, but just, just give me some grace and um, just thank you so much for being here. Hey, I don't want to waste any more time. I want to jump into the word. Today, we are going to be in the book of Deuteronomy. So if you guys will uh, open up your, your Bibles. Uh, for those of you that may not have never heard of that book before, it is uh, the fifth book of the Bible. So maybe just go towards the beginning of your Bible or your Bible app. Um, and we're going to be in Deuteronomy chapter 6. And while you go there, um, as I was saying, you know, I get to, to serve here with our student ministry. And uh, some of you may have heard this story before, so uh, bear with me as I say it again. But uh, back in July of 2023, Pastor Ashish and Pastor Sonia, uh, you know, we went to lunch uh, with Nicole and I. We went to lunch with them, and we thought it was just going to be a normal lunch after church, nothing big. And at the, near the end of it, Pastor brought up this idea of, hey, we are, we're thinking about relaunching our student ministry. Is that something that you would be interested in? And, and honestly, there was maybe not an audible, but internally there was like a scoff. And it wasn't a scoff because I didn't care about the, the student ministry or anything like that. It's just because I'm, I'm a teacher. And so I, I work with high school kids Monday through Friday. So the idea, and, and people automatically assume that because you're a teacher, you want to do all things kids related. And so like, I remember on my old church, growing up, they're like, oh, you're a teacher? You must be our Sunday school director and stuff like that. And I was like, absolutely not. Uh, it, is, it is so taxing. If you're a parent of a teenager, I sh- I'm sure you know just how taxing it is. And I deal with 130 of them every single day. And so uh, the idea of, man, like Monday through Friday working with high schoolers and then coming to church and Wednesdays and Sundays and through the, the week having to deal with that, like, I don't, I don't think that's where God's calling me to, Pastor. And, and Pastor was really smart. And he was like, all right, just pray about it. And I was like, all right, sure, pastor. And then I'm not even kidding. The next day or that week, he went to India for four weeks. So I couldn't even give him my no. And so I was like, I feel like that was a very strategic move, pastor. Um, and so I walked out of there. I still remember it. We were uh, across the street. I walked out of there telling Nicole, hey, I, I'm not going to do it. And she uh, just was like, hey, just pray about it. Think about it. And I was like, all right, sure. And so I went into it not wanting it. But the Lord really did a work on my heart. And the Lord really kind of showed me the need for me to use my experiences with students on a day-to-day basis and to pour into the next generation here. And I'm so grateful that Pastor went away because I think if he had been here, I probably would have texted him or called him the next day saying, Pastor, I don't think so. But because of that time and I couldn't reach out, 
God used that time to soften my heart. And sure enough, I felt a burden that I hadn't felt that day that I met with God. I felt a burden creeping in my heart. I'm like, God, what are you doing to me? Because when I left that restaurant, I didn't feel it. But God, when I allowed God to really show me what he planned for my ministry and my life, God was putting this huge burden for the next generation. And just a few weeks ago, we've been able to relaunch our student ministry, and it has been one of the most rewarding things, guys. Even it's a small group. It's five. Shout out to the students that are in here. Thank you, Angel. I see you. Um, It's so glad to see you guys. But it has been one of the greatest joys to see students. I see them in a different context on a normal basis, but to see them yearning after God, to see them actually, we we had a Bible study, and they were asking questions and, and highlighting and annotating. I was like, man, this is something. And I say all this because as I was prepping for today, pastor asked me about a month ago, and you can ask the worship team. They were like, hey, what what are you preaching on so we can pick a set? I was like, I don't know. And it was Wednesday night, and I was like, God, if you don't give me something, I I don't know what, we're going to play an old sermon of pastor or something like that. And God, I felt like God kind of opened the doors, and God put this idea of the fact that we are a generational people. And we need to honor the generation before and the honor, uh, honor the generation that is to come. And so that's what I'm going to be preaching about today. And I think part of that is because I found myself when I was wanting to say no to the call to student ministry, I think it was because I was like, well, I'm already in worship. I, I, you know, I, I get to sing. I get to serve a couple of times. And I just like to sit back and I just like to receive. And I felt a conviction in my heart that the modern church, the modern person has become very consumeristic when it comes to church. It's very easy to walk in, to grab your free cup of coffee, coffee, to drop your kid off for daycare. That's two hours of free. You know, you don't have to be with your kid. You come in here. It's easy to, to see how the lights are looking. If the work, depending on the worship team, you may be sitting like this or you may be standing like this, depending on who's preaching. And I'm sure a lot of you guys came in today ready to hear Pastor Oshish and you see me and you're like, oh, okay, never mind. Like, this is not going to be one of those Sundays. But it's very consumeristic consumeristic church, what can you do for me? Ooh, do I like it? People leave the church because they don't like a certain sermon or something like that. It's like, man, rather than seeing what can the church do for me, I felt a pressing on my heart for what can I do for the church? What can we as a body do for the church? Church, if you'll open up again to Deuteronomy chapter 6, God is going to show us what our part to play is with the generations. Deuteronomy 6 verse 4 reads like this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. And you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. And when the Lord your God brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give you with great and good cities that you did not build and houses full of good things that you did not fill and cisterns that you did not dig and vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant. And when you eat and when you're full, then take care lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. It is the Lord your God you shall fear. Him you shall serve, and by his name you shall swear. You shall not go after other gods, the gods of people who are around you. For the Lord your God 
In your midst is a jealous God, lest the anger of the Lord your God be kindled against you and he destroy you from the face of the earth. And so to give a little bit of context to Deuteronomy, the book of Deuteronomy takes place within the larger context of the end of Numbers to the beginning of Joshua. The historical setting is that the Israelites have just been taken away from Egypt, away from there. They were slaves and they were, they were freed and they were on this journey in the wilderness. And so during this time, the first generation perished except for Caleb, Joshua, and Moses. And so Deuteronomy is Moses' final address to the second generation of Israel. And its purpose is to challenge and exhort this generation to total devotion to the Lord. And so church, if if I'm gonna give points, if I can get some water, I'm sorry. This is my nerves. If I can get my first point, the first point is this, the God of the Bible is a generational God. Verse 10 If we look at verse 10, verse 10 shows us this lingo that we're familiar with. If you grew up in the church, that God is the father of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And that's stuff we hear growing up. And here's the problem. When you hear the same phrase over and over as you grow up, when you see it in scripture, it's easy to just kind of look over that or skip over that. But I want to make sure that you don't miss it. Here, God is self-identifying who he is, and he is putting on display his character. The heart of the God in scriptures and the God that we serve today is to be worshiped, not just by the generation that you fall under, but by every generation. He self-identifies to Moses actually for the first time. If you go a few books back in Exodus 3 by the burning bush, when Moses asks his name, Exodus 3.15 says, God also says to Moses, say this to the people of Israel. The Lord, the God of your fathers, here we go, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. And can we just take a step back and be like, man, wow. One thing that's so incredible about God is this. It's not that he's demanding worship from every generation, but rather when you, when we as a people, when we see God for who he actually is, no matter how old or how young, no matter what ethnicity you are, no matter what socioeconomic status you're in, no matter what kind of upbringing or not even what, or no matter what country that you're in, when we see God for who he is, you will worship because he is worthy of the worship of all people of every generation. He is the God of generations. Not only is he a generational God, but God is creating in us a generational people. And I wanna, I wanna say one thing really quickly. As I preach this, I don't want p- people who are not parents to tune out because we all, I'm, I'm not a parent myself, we all play a role in this, whether it's with nieces and nephews, whether it's the kids that we run into in the lobbies, we all play a role. And if God willing, if children are in your future, this is something to know to pass on. And so God is creating a generational people. One of the things that God is doing in the earth is that he is causing every single generation to see him for who he is and in turn for us to worship. One of the most beautiful things about commission, if this is your first Sunday, I hope you get to witness in a few moments. But one of the things that drew Nicole and I was definitely, yes, the friendliness. Everyone was so friendly. We'd never been in in an environment like this. 
And not that the worship wasn't amazing. We loved the worship. We loved the word from Pastor Ashish. But the thing that I loved seeing as the first few weeks that we came is every time I stepped in the lobby, and for those of you that know me, the lobby can be a little bit of not my favorite place. I have a little bit of, I'm an introvert. I have a little bit of social anxiety. But when I step into that lobby, one of my favorite things is when you look out, you will see every generation in the lobby. And one of the things I love about Commission Church, and this is not just me trying to uh, promote the church, but I really have gotten to know Pastor Ashish and Pastor Sonia in their hearts, is that Commission is not just wanting to be a multi-ethnic church, they want to be a multi-generational church. And I think there is such beauty behind that because that is not the vision of many churches. And I don't know if you've ever noticed it. Let's let's talk about that. Let's break it down real quickly. I did a lot of research this week, and it seems like no two websites could agree on what generation was like between what years. So I'm just going to go off of uh, the the main one that I noticed. So first off, we got generation Gen Alpha, right? They're the the ones that are across the room, the toddlers, the babies. um, God bless them. Then we've got the bane of my existence, Gen Z. I'm just kidding, I'm kidding, I love you guys. But the, the, those are the teenagers, right? 97 to, to, to 2010, you've got a lot of those. Then you've got God's chosen generation, the millennials. I see you, I see you guys. There's a special anointing on you this morning. All right, then we've got, we've got a generation that actually, I actually like, kind of forgot about as I was prepping this. I was like, oh man, they're often forgotten. That's Generation X, right? That's the 1965 to 1980. Yeah, shout out, shout out. All right, then we've got our baby boomers who are the 46 to 64. God bless you guys. All right, and then I, th- I think, do we have any of, uh, I had never even heard of this, I'm not even kidding. The silent generation, do we have any? That is nine, uh, I don't even have it, before 1946. We do, Miss Lorene, God bless you, amen. <laughs> Guys, we have, we have every major generation represented here in this church. That is, that is something that we should not take for granted, Commission Church. This is God's heart for the church. And one of the things that blew my mind when I understood that when Jesus came into my heart, when Jesus came into our hearts, when he healed me, when Jesus saved me, he gave all of us the opportunity to be his reflection on earth. We are meant to be the reflection of God on earth. There's a term for it called the Imago Dei. If you guys have never heard of it, the Imago Dei is the image of God. We are the Imago Dei. And here's the thing, when you step back and you really analyze it, he didn't give this to animals. He did not give the Imago Dei to mountains or stars. He gave that to humanity because we are created in his image. And so because of this, the God of the Bible, the God of all time, he is forgiving, so we should be forgiving. The God of the Bible is loving, so should we be loving. The God of the Bible pursues people that are broken, that don't look like us, that don't believe like us. God still pursues them, and so should we, because we are to be the image of God. And there are some things, church, that we cannot image bear alone, and the generational aspect of God is one. We need each other. Each generation needs each other, every generation, all of us together displaying to the world that our God is a generational God and he's causing us in turn to be a generational people. This idea 
is all over scripture. There were so many references, but if you're still doubting me, I want y'all to look at the very last words of the Old Testament, Malachi chapter four, five and six. It says this, behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes and he will in turn, watch this, turn the hearts of fathers, one generation to their children, another generation. And the hearts of children, one generation, to their fathers, another generation. That's the way the Old Testament closes. And one of the things that God is going to cause in you is to stop just thinking about yourself and your personal relationship with Jesus. And you're going to become very concerned about honoring the generation that came before, but also fueling the generation that is to come. Church, let me say that one more time. We are called as a people, as a church, to honor the generations, whatever category that was you. For me, it's millennial, to look up at Gen X, to look up at the baby boomers, to look up at the silent generation and to honor them, to respect them, because it is because of their prayers and their sacrifices that I stand where I'm at, but also using that to fuel the next generation. At times, it's hard to understand. I don't understand Gen Z. I don't understand half the things that Micah tells me. But here's the thing. I still have a heart for them. I want to try to get to know them because here's the thing. If we don't love on them, someone else or something else will. And it is up to us to love on them, to empower them, and to launch them into the, next, in, into the future. That's what God is calling us to. And so, church, this must be the heart of not only the church, but each individual Christian. And here's the thing, like I just mentioned, this is completely counterintuitive to the way that the world works. The world doesn't operate on this idea. All right, let's go back to millennials. I'm gonna talk to you for a second. How many of you guys growing up heard some kind of negative label or something about you? Did any of y'all millennials in here? What were some of the labels that you heard? Does anyone wanna shout one out? Say it again. <laughs> okay, maybe, maybe we're a generation that doesn't care about fitness as much. What else? <laughs> I heard, here are the things I heard, guys. I heard millennials are lazy, that they're entitled, that they are handed everything to them, that, oh, it's only because their parents, they're just mooching off of their parents. And thanks be to God that that's finally, that label's gone on to Gen Z. Gen Z, have fun with that. <laughs> but guys, here's the thing. Millennials, where did that come from? A lot of those labels came from the generation above, right? The generation above was like, oh, would you look at them? How dare they? They just mooch off of us. They don't, they don't want to work. All they care about are their own things. But here's the, oh, and, and then actually I, I paused and I thought about what were the labels that they had? Like, like the, those that talked down on, on, on millennials, what did they have? They had, if you grew up in America, they were the hippies. They were the druggies. They were free love, Woodstock, all of that stuff that I don't fully understand. But all of that, those were labels that were put on them by the silent generation. So y'all see this? The world tells us that we need to put down and label and look down the next generation because it is meant to divide generations. That is the spirit of the enemy. Ephesians 2 actually refers to this as the prince of the power of the air that we were all born into it. And we were by nature children of wrath that causes this. But what I want you to know is that when you meet Jesus, 
when he saves you and he puts his heart in you, when he fills you up with his spirit, like in Malachi 4 describes, you're gonna stop dividing the generations around you and you're gonna instead start honoring and start fueling God's people in every generation. And this is such a priority, church, and I want you to see it because it's going to cause many of you to find a vigor to find a zeal as to why you have to do much more, and I apologize in advance, you have to do way more than just show up to a church on a Sunday morning, sing some songs, and nod your head. There's so much more to it. Guys, if that is all we are doing, we are falling way short of what God is calling us to. And I'm speaking to myself, church. We have to be involved as people in honoring the generation above and all they have to offer, but then using that in turn to launch, to fuel, to empower, to equip the generation below. Because why? Why do we do it? Because I said we are the Imago Dei. We are the image of God and it's God's character and he puts that character on display in you. Point number two, guys. God's plan is that fathers and mothers, the parents, are God's primary vehicle for the evangelism and discipleship of the next generation. I'm gonna say it again. God's plan is that fathers and mothers must be the primary vehicle for the evangelism and discipleship of the next generation. That's what Moses is encouraging God's people with in Deuteronomy 6. He's saying, listen, look at this. You're gonna be tempted to not tell the next generation of the goodness of God. Why? Because you're going to have so much to eat. Your bellies are going to be full. You're going to have so much to drink. Cisterns are going to show up in the desert. You're going to have olives and vineyards. And you're going to eat. And you're going to drink. And you're going to have so much. And you're going to be so satisfied that it's going to cause you to forget about me. Church, we live in homes that are so grand. We drive these amazing cars. We have, I've said this last time I preached, no matter where you are in the socioeconomic status, we are so privileged compared to 90% of the world. We have so much and we can eat a couple of meals a day. We can buy whatever clothes we want and life is comfortable. But when life is comfortable, we don't talk about God as much, right? Our kids don't see that desire in us to get on our knees and thank the Father and pray to the Father because life is good. And church, let me tell you this right now. Do not let the blessings of God shut your mouth to the goodness of God that you must tell the next generation. Do not let the blessings of God shut your mouth to the goodness of God that you must share with the next generation. It's the blessings of our world that fills us up, that causes us to shut our mouth and not declare God's goodness. Commission Church, lift your voice. Commission Church, lift your story to make sure that we understand that we can do it and we must do it. We are the primary evangelizer and discipler of our kids and our grandkids. Parents, I'm sure you can be the best testament to this, but as a teacher, I can tell you a different perspective. Kids are so perceptive of their family and their surroundings. There are so many students that I teach uh, in, in, in my career that I'm like, man, why do you believe that? Why do you talk that way? Or, or like, not in a demeaning way, I'm just so curious. And then I meet their parents and I'm like, it all makes sense. They are being a representation of their parents. The things they hear at home, they believe. The political views that an 11-year-old doesn't even understand, they carry because they hear their parents talking about it at home. 
Kids are so perceptive of us. They watch how we talk. They watch how we live. And get this, they watch how you worship. They watch when you get on your knees to pray and worship. They watch when you gather around the table and you pray for them. When you put your hands on them and you pray for them, they see that and it matters. But what they also see, and I promise pastor didn't tell me to say this, they also see you coming to late to church on Sundays. You wouldn't dare be late to work. You wouldn't dare be late to school, but you're, you're fine casually strolling into church on a Sunday morning. They see you choosing to sleep in and to skip church and watch it online. And so you know what happens? Guys, I've had conversations very recently. My students say that it's just a choice. Sometimes they watch uh, church online. Sometimes they go in person. It doesn't really matter. There's no, there is no desire. There is no like importance to the idea of being in the presence of God. Where did that get that from? Their parents. And, and I'm not calling any parents out. I'm saying it was easy. The COVID pandemic definitely put that on everyone's view. But there are so many people who have refused to go back to church and your, your kids are picking up on that. And I don't want to one day look back and say, why are my kids walking away from God? Why do my kids not have biblical community? Because you refuse to take them to church for refuel. You refuse to take them to church for services because you would rather them play sports and do music and all the other things except for church. And, and parents, please hear my heart. I, those things are wonderful. I want your kids to be well-rounded. But when I get frustrated when I see parents who put all the things, extracurriculars above church, we have that upside down, guys. Do church. Honor them, honor the Lord. Let your kids come here. They may not want to. They may sit here with their arms crossed, but let God handle that. And God will honor all of the rest of it. Our kids are perceptive, guys. And the reason I'm so passionate about this is that if we want to see the church thrive, if we want to see Commission Church and the Capital C Church grow, we must be so intentional about the generations, the generation that was, but also the generation that is to come. It's why I respect our leadership team here at Commission for investing so much. It wasn't until I, I, I got on board with them that I realized the heart that they have for our Sea Kids ministry the heart that they have for our preteens, the, the money and the time and the resources they invest into our student ministry and even our young adult ministry. And guys, the church is honored to partner with you, catch that, with you in the ministry, which brings me to my last point. The church is here as a resource, but must never be our outsource. The church is here as a resource, but not as an outsource. The church is here to resource you, parents, or parents-to-be, or even if you're single, no matter who you are, the church is here to resource you, to take the message of the gospel to the next generation, but the church cannot be your outsource. This flies in the face of cultural Christianity today. We have made it so easy to outsource our kids to other people. I've told people the story, but... I was uh, at my last school, I was, I was dealing with a student, actually many students, and I remember, you know, it's our job to reach out to parents if we have a discipline issue or an academic issue, and I don't remember exactly what it was, but I, st I will never forget this phone call. When I, when I called home, when I told him, well, first off, the parent picked up and was really irritated. They're like, what do you want? And I was like, okay, you know, maybe I had a lot of parents would work night shift and sleep during the day. So I'm like, hey, Mrs. So-and-so, I am so sorry to bother you, but I just wanted to talk about so-and-so, some issues that I'm having in class. And she's like, what do you do now? And so I told him, and this was her response. Listen, 
from eight to four, they're your responsibility. You need to take care of it. That is your problem. I don't have time to deal with that. And I was just like, I don't know what to do with this, but okay. And so, and, and I hung, she hung up the phone on me, honestly. And I would never forget that conversation because I get it. There is a responsibility as an educator that I have, but it takes both of us, parents and teacher, in order for a, a child's education to flourish in the way it does. And we wonder why the education system is broken here. Don't get me wrong. The education system is broken and I'm a part of it. But how, how much of a role do families play in that as well? We're all busy. We all have things to do. But if you are not investing in your child and their education, their walk with God, and you outsource them to someone else, don't look back one day and wonder where did it all go wrong. The church cannot raise your kids for you. Too many have relegated this responsibility to the pastor or to the student pastor. Please don't do that to me. It's unbelievable what happens when, the, when parents and the church, when we partner together, when we preach the gospel, there is a greater success that'll come with that. There's an endurance that the next generation will carry for the long haul. So here's the thing. Here's what we need to do. We need to redefine what does success in the church look like? And I heard this quote this week that really struck a chord in me, and it says this, success for the church is succession. I'm going to say that again. Success for the church is succession. Success must lead to succession. And what I mean is this, Commission Church, like I said when I started, it warms my heart to see the, the sanctuary this full. It warms my heart to know that we are moving to two services because of a space issue, because there are people that want to be here. But here's the thing. The church cannot be more focused on seating capacity rather than our sending capacity. We cannot just be so focused. And one of the things I love is, as I've been in the meetings, again, just hearing how we're growing and we're needing to expand. But the thing I have grown to love from many leaders in my life, the leaders who are like, gimme, gimme, gimme. Hey, I'm going to poach you from this church. I want you to come here. Hey, uh, your pastor... They're not very good at preaching. Come over here. I'm a better orator. Hey, that worship team, do you want to know what that worship team uh, leader did on Saturday night? Come over here. Our worship uh, leader doesn't do that. And, and there's, this, like, there's like this weird, weird vibe when it comes to church. But the, the, the best leaders that I've been under are the ones who say, come on to Commission Church. We invite you in. But here's what we're going to do. We are going to train you. We're going to equip you. And then one day you may be sent somewhere else. I remember Pastor Ashish telling me, hey, like, you know, we planted this church, but we don't know if we're always going to be here. And I'm like, pastor, I rebuke that in the name of Jesus. If God is telling you that, let me know. And I'm going to have a talk with Jesus. But here's the thing. They, our, our leadership is so intentional about, hey, we invite you in, but we understand that commission may be for a season. But while you're here, we want to train you and equip you to go wherever God is sending you next and to share the good news. But when the church and the modern church is so focused on numbers, okay, we've got 200 members here, and, and that's good. But when that is all, and they just want to see that number go up, and their seating capacity is a priority and sending capacity is not, there's something wrong in that equation. Our churches need to be more focused on that. Our, set, our seating capacity on Sunday morning is so small, but what's actually going to make a difference in our world and our society that is crumbling in front of us is us sending and sending people with Pastor Eric on the go team to go out there and to let people know about the love of God. This must be our focus if we are to see the glory of God fill the next generation. And my hope, the reason I'm addressing this when 
you know, I've only had a few days to prepare. You know, God put this on my heart real late in the week. I think it's to address this so that one day I'm not an old man with many regrets of not addressing it sooner, of saying, I wish I had focused on that years ago. I wish I hadn't outsourced, but instead had partnered and resourced with my church. Here in the Bible Belt, we see so many churches popping up, which praise God for more churches. But at the same time, we also see many churches closing and dying. And I believe there is a correlation in many of those instances with the church's heart for the next generation. Not just the next generation, but with the power and beauty that comes with honoring the generations before. Church, can we be a people when we see the elderly in the lobby, when we see them out in our society, that we honor them, that we thank them for their sacrifice. Just the simplest of saying hello rather than walking the other way. May we honor them, but in the same turn, when we see that teenager in the corner who's probably saying something he shouldn't, who probably listens to music that you used to listen to when you were younger, who probably does things that is not seen as good in the sight of a Christian, can we also love on them? Because when we show hatred, when we say you're an idiot, you're dumb, how dare you do that? And that the world is saying, you're loved, you're accepted. No matter what you believe, we accept you. I'm telling you, there is gonna be a shift that happens in hearts if we are not careful to love on the next generation. We must come together in this. So we have to, re, uh, we have to redefine success. Church, success is not running a sprint. If you guys have ever run a sprint before, it is a short burst of energy and you're going really fast and it quickly trails off. But success is also not just a marathon. It's not just this one steady pace, you're by yourself running. No, success is a relay race, right? It's where we send the gospel to the next generation and one person is waiting to, to take that baton and to run and I'm running with all of my might to pass the baton to the next generation. That is what success of the church can actually look like. We cannot put down or tear down or look down upon or dishonor either the generation before or the generation after. It must be a passing of the baton, partner hand in hand, and I want to invite you into that this morning. And so how do we accomplish this? Deuteronomy chapter 6 verse 20 reads like this. When your son asks you in time, what is the meaning of the testimonies and the statutes and the rules that the Lord our God has commanded you. Let's pause there. The next generation, they're going, to answer, they're going to ask you questions. Just like when you were young, you asked questions too. Why? Why do we have to go to church? Why can't we watch it at home? Why do I have to sit in here during worship? Why do I have to lift my hands? Why do I have to pray? Why do I have to go to a church instead of whatever? They're going to ask why, why, why? And sometimes that why can be draining. Trust me. But here's the thing. Why does the why matter? Verse 21, then you shall say to your son, we were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt and the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. One of the things that we must prioritize is we must share and we must tell the next generation just how broken and enslaved we all were. And that is, that is not easy. Moses was encouraging people to remind the next generation that God had come through for them when they were enslaved. And let me keep it real, we're in an even graver situation because we are slaves to sin and death. We were slaves to sin and death. Greed, maybe alcohol, maybe lust, maybe pride. We were slaves. I mean, it's so true that we could, even, we could know the rules and we would still break those rules. That's just how enslaved we are. We could know what God has invited us to and still not do it. But we've got to be able to share it. 
Guys, hear, hear me. Not some queak, squeaky clean packaged deal. Not just some story to them of, yeah, everything in life was great. I, I accepted the Lord as my personal Savior. I got baptized. I've never sinned in my life. I, I started a Bible study. I went to church. Not some squeaky clean package. They need to know the truth. I'm not saying everything, guys. I'm not saying the, the, the nitty-gritty details. I, I get it. Trust me. But one thing I've learned from working with, with, with students is, is they, they respond better to the truth than a lie that is so clear to them that it's a lie. So can we keep it real with them? Can we keep it real that, hey, maybe I, we accepted Christ at a young age, but you made mistakes and it wasn't until college that you truly started following God? Because that'll be my story one day. That'll be my story one day to future children or grandchildren or nieces and nephews will be, man, I grew up in the church and I got baptized at 11 years old and I accepted the Lord and I led worship at far too young of an age and I was leading people to a place that I had never been before. And I had no walk with God. And I got to college and I started a, studi- uh, I started a Bible study in college but even while I was leading that, I was, I was struggling with sin in my own life. And it wasn't until the middle of college, my last year of college, that God came in and God wrecked me to the gospel and just how depraved I was. I'm going to tell him that story as hard as that'll be. And that's going to lead to a lot of questions. But here's the thing. I do that because I hope that one day my testimony to them will show them. Because here's the thing. If we tell them that our lives were perfect, that we've always known God, that we've never sinned, we've never done anything, then when they struggle, they're not going to feel a relatability to you. And they're not going to be able to share in that with you. But when they know that, hey, Prince, he struggled too. He struggled with his walk. And, and, and even then, God is still, you know, I, I still have a relationship with the Lord, and I want them to know that that is okay, and there is room for the cross, and we can walk through this together. We have to be honest with them. One of the most powerful testimonies that you have, church, is the truth of how God rescued and redeemed you. Worship team, I want to call you up to the stage. As I was preparing for this, one of the things that came to my mind is I... Uh, Growing up, my grandparents were at my house a lot. They, they lived with my dad's sister who lived in the street behind us, and they kind of rotated every few weeks coming and staying with us and going back there. And whenever they would come over, they and, and my dad would tell me the story of how both of my grandparents were not, they grew up in a uh, non-believing household. They, they grew up in Catholic households and, and other um, religions, and their families to this day follow that. But they made a decision at a very young age. They found the Lord. They found the Lord. They found the truth of the gospel. And they chose to walk away from their families at such a young age. They were cut off. To this day, many of their siblings still do not talk to them. Don't even recognize them as a sibling. But they made that hard decision to follow the Lord. Why? Because they treasured, they knew what they had and they treasured that. And they knew that the sacrifice was worth it. And as I reflect, I didn't understand it at the time. At the time, I was like, man, wh- like, like, why did that happen? Why is that such a big deal? But as I've gotten older, it hits me that if they had not made that sacrifice, if they had not made that decision, I would not be standing here in front of you. I, oh, God knows where I would be. But because they made that choice, not even knowing my parents, because they were not married at the time, not even knowing me, their grandchildren, but they made a choice to follow God. But the blessings that have come from that have followed generation to generation. And I stand here so humbled and so grateful to them because of that. 
church, we have got to open our mouths because here's the thing. The next generation, they are not going to just drift into following Jesus. Trust me on this one. They're not. The world has an all-out assault on our kids, and it's going to be on us if they're going to know anything about the good things of the Lord. Church, would you stand to your feet this morning? Church, I want you to know this. The things you do now have ripple effects that will play out in generations to come. The ripple effects of our actions make a difference. The things that seem so small in your life, when you wake up and you spend some time in his word, when you, before eating a meal, you gather your family together and you pray and you thank the Lord for that. Guys, I want you to know something. Your kids, they see it. They honor it. They're blessed by it. When you, before you get in the car, you, you, ask God for provi- you ask God for safety, they see it. They realize it. When you bring them to church on Sundays and when they're standing next to you, I've seen so many times Rizzy, it's the cutest thing. She'll be standing here looking up at her dad. And when Pastor Osher's hands go up, her hands go up too. They see it. They, they, they realize it. And they may not understand the, the weight of that now, But the things you do now, the things we do to pour into generations will have ripple effects beyond what we see. My grandparents, like I said, they may, they're getting really old in age. They're getting, they're getting weaker. They may never see my children one day. They may never see their great grandchildren, but it's so beautiful to know that they made a decision and they made a decision to for their family and for the generations to come that they will not even see the benefits of but because of that that will be carried on our relationship with god the tr- knowing the truth of the gospel will not stop with them it went to my parents and on to me and i promise you it will be passed on to my children that the actions you take have ripple effects and i hope that they know that they were saying sowing seeds that they never got to see Church, we must be a people that so intentionally talks about the goodness of God that we have not been so filled up by the blessings and the 401ks and the pensions and all the blessings you have. All of those things are amazing. I pray that you steward those things well. But may we never be so full of the blessings of God that we shut our mouths and forget to tell others of where those blessings came from. May we forever bless his name. Church, as we do every week, we are going to, uh, we're going to pray and we're going to close here. But I want to invite you to spend a little bit of time in worship. I ended a little bit earlier than Pastor probably would. Um, so we got a little bit of extra time before your brunch plans take place. I want to invite you. We're going to sing a song that talks about blessing the generations to come. And I pray that this morning you would receive that. That the blessing of God we poured out on generation upon generation upon generation. And I pray that over your families. Church, would you bow your heads with me? Father, I thank you so much. I thank you that you are a God who has created us in your image. That you are a God who loves the silent generation, the baby boomers, Gen X, the millennials, Gen Z, and Gen Alpha, and all the generations that are to come. You are the God of them all. And I thank you that you love all of us and that we were created to worship you. Father, my prayer this morning is that we would be a people and that we would be a church that links hands with the generations around us 
that we would honor the generations before, that we would empower the generation to come. And together as one body, as the capital C church, we would go and proclaim the good news and that the good news of God would be so loud that all of the attempts of society to tell our kids what is right and wrong would be drowned out by the gospel and good news of Jesus Christ. Thank you for listening. We love bringing you the word on so many different platforms. We are so thankful for what God is doing in and through us. We'd love for you to subscribe so you don't miss out. And don't forget to share this message if it has blessed you.